0: SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing show number 15 with guest Kimberly Tripp. Our guest today is Kimberly Tripp. Kimberly is a SQL Server MVP and Microsoft Regional Director and has worked with SQL Server since 1990. Since 1995, Kimberly has worked as a speaker, writer, trainer and consultant for her own company, SysSolutions Inc., which is SQLSkills.com. In speaking, Kimberly's comments usually indicate she has the gift of being able to discuss complex technical topics with ease and occasional humour. Welcome, Kim.
1: Thanks, Greg. How are you?
0: <laughs> Very good, thanks. So I might a, get you to start. We had a couple start. of
1: discussions on that. <laughs> Sorry, go
0: <laughs> yeah, ahead. that's okay. I, I might get you to start by just telling us how you how you came to be involved with SQL Server at all.
1: Oh my goodness, it was so long ago. I I really <laughs> I had worked at IBM, and mm-hmm. at IBM I was doing actually marketing and, and ah, marketing and advertising. I had kind of gotten the job through one of my math teachers. I was a math major in college, and my math instructor had given an IBM guy my name, and this IBM guy, actually Dennis, gave me a call and asked me if I wanted to come in an interview. And long story short, I it was it was really strange how I started with IBM, to be honest. But uh, it was God, what was that class? It was System 370 assembly. Um, ah, yes. It was my instructor from that class.
0: <laughs> yeah. In so fact, uh, long story I, uh, short. I did a bunch of that and uh, actually I posted a thing on my blog the other day. I I came across some things I was cleaning out and it had a whole lot of uh, uh, old suggested uh, instructions including things like HCF for halt and catch fire (laughs) and so on. uh, Beautiful uh, pun stuff and uh, little joke instructions. But yeah, 370 assembly was certainly pretty widely used.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely, and and so that, that was just a really weird situation how I, I got started with IBM, but oddly, even with my computer background, I started doing marketing and advertising for IBM, and doing marketing and advertising, I needed a database to basically track all of the orders I was taking for one of my advertisements that went nationwide, so oddly... Uh-huh. I was actually in advertising, had to create a database to track my orders, you know, how we all get started in the infamous order tracking database mm-hmm. industry, and ended up loving the database more than the advertising and marketing, and another project came up with a, a totally different database. Ironically, the first one was in Ease and then a mm. fox project came up, and I took that and fell in love with it. and the next thing you know, I said, what is this OS2 SQL Server thing? And yeah. uh, started working for a small company in Chicago doing training and education and consulting and became a Microsoft certified trainer in 1990 or 91, I think it was, and yes. then joined Microsoft not too long after that. So. It wow. it was 1990 when I started working with SQL and and by about 91 I think it was I started working with Microsoft and uh, and uh, the rest is is kind of history.
0: It's history <laughs> so. indeed. So actually, uh, I'm, I'm intrigued to know there was a bit of Fox in the background there. What what was your, what were your thoughts on Fox?
1: Well, you know, I think that understanding all row-based or X-based languages is a great um, kind of base to build on. I mean, it it's I think conceptually a lot easier than set-oriented databases. You know, the infamous "go to top for x equals one to end of file do begin," you know, and so forth is is very natural mentally. So I th- I think that was good, and I I certainly yeah. did really enjoy FoxBase, but um, you know, I, I'd say to a certain extent that also allows me to to bond with people who don't understand set oriented databases cuz you know i i didn't come from that either so
0: well no, i don't know it, just I, intrigues I, me because it was interesting it's it's a passionate community that just doesn't die so uh no, that's true. you know with with all of all of the predictions that keep saying you know fox will disappear in the next few months you know it just in fact i uh did a a speaking gig at uh Oz Fox which is a uh, the local Fox conference organized by Craig Bailey. I was down there a few weeks ago and it was just great actually. It was a really passionate a uh, lot of people, you know, in in that development community. It was really impressive.
1: Yeah, I think in general um that's very true in that community. I mean, there's still a lot of conferences even around X-Base and, and new technologies around X-Base. I just haven't looked at it in so long. I'd probably be lost myself, you know. it's
0: Yeah. It is well, amazing, though. In fact, it's it's interesting now when they're using SQL Server at the back end and so on as well, so it's sort of changing Fox somewhat as well. But, uh, yeah, no, quite, yeah, almost quite fascinating and passion in the community. Yeah, It, it sort yeah, of intrigues me that... Uh, it, the SQL Server community is getting quite strong, and and there's a lot of passionate people. But there's in in the Fox area, there's just a fervor that uh, <laughs> it would be great to duplicate.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's very true. There's definitely some diehards in that that area, and you're right. I I always think that it's going to slowly go away, but um, it it doesn't, and I I don't think it will for quite some time, surprisingly. Yeah.
0: So what were you doing at Microsoft?
1: What was I doing at Microsoft? Oh, when I yeah. when I actually worked there. Um, mm. My first, let's see, I don't know how many, year and a half, two years, was with Microsoft University. That's who mm. originally hired me. And I did uh, training for them on the East Coast um, doing, oh, boy, at the time it was SQL Server, Windows for Work Groups, and Land Manager, if I remember right, uh-huh, and yes. OS2. I don't think... I didn't do any OS2 training for Microsoft. I did do OS2 training when I worked for a a training firm before I worked for Microsoft, but at Microsoft, I was just doing SQL and Windows for work groups, I think. I don't think I even did land manager at that point, but uh, I did when I was at the smaller company in in Chicago. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so Microsoft University, and then they got out of direct deliveries because they wanted to scale better, so I started doing train the trainers, and I, yep. as much as I like teaching, I like teaching people who are going to be working with the product and getting their hands dirty and, and, you know, the, the people that have all the problems. Um, yes. And when we started training trainers, it wasn't as interesting for me. It, it was, it was different interesting, but it wasn't the same to me. And, and that's when I joined the SQL Server team. Mm-hmm. I was never a programmer in C or anything, but I, I did do testing and builds and all sorts of stuff. And then for my last nine months, because I didn't really like testing. I, I Again, I felt like I knew one area of the product really well, but not the whole product. And so then I started writing, and I worked in UE, user education. And for the last nine months, I wrote the Transact SQL manual. And I just, I really never... As much as I love the team and I love the folks that were there, you know, and it was a very small tra- team, um, you know, in 1995 when I left, but, yes. um, it, it just, it, I didn't like doing one thing, you know, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe it's my, my strange personality, but, you know, I like writing, but not all the time. I like speaking, yeah. but not all the time. I love teaching because it, it gives me depth and, I actually learn every time I teach and and speak with customers and and you know every time I present something what the students understand from it actually makes me see it in a different way and makes me learn different things and and so I love teaching and then I I you know I love events conferences things like that and and so at the time in the you know the mid-90s there there weren't a lot of technical marketing roles where you could kind of do conferences and things like that which i suppose today yeah. there are a lot more you know at microsoft that do that and um,
0: although i'm not really a marketing team person is basically either. that, yeah
1: yeah exactly so, you know th- mm. that's that's a cool role too
0: but I, so <laughs> yeah. i
1: just i thought i was young at the time I, I you know hopefully i'm still young but i i was young <laughs> at the time and i kind of thought if i'm going to fall flat on my face now's the time to do it you know i i I felt like I didn't have huge responsibilities at the time and so i I left and decided to start my own company and um, you know now ten and a half years later here i am and and I'm still loving it and and it's great so no,
0: that's great actually it's it's refreshing kind of to hear that uh, at least you're willing to have a go i i uh, one of the things I used to find when I was uh, working at uh, one of the local universities uh, i'd often talk to some of the very bright students. sorry and one of the things that i'd find is i'd ask them where they're going off to work and and they'd be going off to some sort of like a programmer's graveyard type place you know and i'd be saying why why are you going (laughs) there and they and they would talk about you know things like security and i think well you know you're you're 20 years old you've got no ties or commitments (laughs) just well except student
1: (laughs) debt these days
0: Ah yes well, yes know, indeed that that, that wasn't an commitment. issue at the time but yeah
1: exactly exactly that's that's just massive for some of these kids today I don't know how that God these kids today did you hear me I just said these kids today yeah, ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But,
0: this is um, when you say I'm starting is. to sound like my mother yeah <laughs> <or something. laughs>
1: thank you thank you Grace. yeah I think the interview is <laughs> over now <laughs> yep. no um, I... <laughs> no seriously though I. I you're right. I I think that some some students should take the plunge and and really try to be on their own, but it does take an interesting person to to have their own business cuz I have to admit there were lots of ups and downs for me when I when oh, I yes. started as well. You know, you don't know where your next income is going to come from. You have to pay for mm. a lot of stuff on your own, insurance, things like that. So so I don't know. I I think security is a good is mm. a good reason but i just wish some of them would would find more interesting uh what's the word like internships so that they could get more yeah. jazzed about different technologies rather than just going into like the the COBOL programmers graveyard you know yes. and that's what <laughs> that's what some of them are still doing i can't believe it
0: <laughs> so anyway so on to the topic for the day we're, we're going to talk about indexing and uh it it's uh, obviously an area that uh widely differing opinions and uh, it's one that makes an enormous difference to performance on on various systems and it's probably often one of the uh the things that's most often done wrong and uh, but maybe if we start in the in the SQL Server 2000 end of things w- what are the main sort of problems that you've seen or come across or things that you think people get wrong
1: well um, you definitely chose a good topic for me i think i can talk for days on indexes (laughs) so it's definitely a good one Um, and I also agree with you that there's a lot of misunderstandings and there's a lot of improperly indexed and and even more so improperly maintained and managed systems regarding indexes than almost any other Mm -hmm. area and it's also probably one of the most important because it has such a profound effect on query, stored procedure, and everything else, performance. I, yep. I always like to, to talk about locking and blocking, but never by itself. And I find mm. a lot of people will see a lot of blocking problems, and then they'll start seeing all these locks, and they'll start saying, oh, locking is my problem, when to me, most of the time, and I'm not going to say all, but most of the time, locking is a symptom of another problem. And that problem is often indexing. Yeah. So, again, what ends up happening from poorly chosen index decisions or even just complete and total lack of, of indexing decision or strategy is that you have all these other really negative side effects, not just query performance, but when a query performs slow, it holds locks for a longer period of time. When it holds locks for a longer period of time, then it ends up creating blocking. And I don't just mean a query. I mean all of the things you do, like inserts, updates, and deletes, those are the ones that are going to cause you more locking and blocking problems. But if they can't even process those optimally because the right indexes don't exist, then those locks are held longer, and that just exacerbates the problem. So it's it's a great area to touch on, and and there's yeah. a variety of different ways to look at it.
0: So Yeah, actually that's a really good point because I often see people when they're discussing indexing, they seem to mostly think it's going to have an effect on selecting and things like that and it just doesn't seem to dawn on them that, I mean, if you've got to update a row, you've actually got to find the row first. So, you know, so there yeah, are many, yeah, absolutely. many scenarios where the indexing is just as critical uh, in, in terms of update performance.
1: Yeah, I can take that even one step further with inserts. Inserts, if you think about it, if your table... like There's two types of tables, right? There's tables that have order and there's tables that don't have order. And that's simply the existence of a clustered index. It either exists or it doesn't. Um, What's interesting is not all clustered indexes act the same way, but what a clustered index does no matter what clustered index it is is that it defines insert location. So even just... Where the row goes helps improve insert performance over a heap structure, which is an unordered table. So even insert performance can be sped up with a clustered index. But there's more to that. Um, If the insert location doesn't have space, if the page that you're inserting into is full, then that's kind of a, a case where something called a split has to occur, and that would make the insert more expensive. So, long story short, inserts can be less expensive with a clustered index, but you kind of have to have the right management, maintenance, and even creation for that clustered index to make that clustered index perform well.
0: I was going to say, uh, the, uh, I in, really enjoyed the session you did in Munich at uh, PASS last year, and uh, in that, uh, one of the things you were discussing at some length was choice of clustering key. Uh huh. And so, what what are your basic thoughts there for the listeners? So.
1: Oh, sure. I thought I thought you were going to say something else. Uh, <laughs> no. yeah, that, oh, I <laughs> won't steal
0: your thunder. I'll let you say it. Yes. Yeah, so.
1: No, 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 no. Sure, <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, the I, I kind of have this series of concepts that I look at called the clustered index debate which all Mm -hmm. focus around where you should create your clustering key. Now, the clustering key is basically, first, if you're going to create a clustered index, what should the column or columns be on which that clustered index is created? Now, the the things I tend to look for are not necessarily the obvious ones. Uh, Again, a lot of people say, oh, well, the clustered index puts your table in that order, so you're best off looking at your range queries. And what people miss is that there are some internal dependencies on the clustering key that SQL Server has that people just don't know. What I mean by that is non-clustered indexes actually use the clustering key as the lookup key from the non-clustereds into the base table. So that lookup requires that every non-clustered row be unique. So that means the clustering key must be unique to help uniquely look up the rows. But SQL Server doesn't require that you have a unique clustering key. And the reason is that, you know, so you know this, but because SQL Server will uniquify the rows, like if you do not create a unique clustering key, SQL Server will automatically make the rows unique by putting what's called a, a four-byte uniqueifier into yeah, I the I love that word, they,
0: a uniqueifier. I, I think they made that one up. <laughs> yeah.
1: They did. I, I remember the first time I heard it. In fact, one of the architects on the SQL team was giving a lecture in, um, I, I'm almost embarrassed, I think it was 1996 in mm. L.A., at one of the, the Sphinx workshops or something like that, which was a sequel 7.0 conference. And it was, uh, Gertz Graffa, uh, who's been an architect on the sequel team for, for many years. And maybe it wasn't 96, it might have been 98. But anyway, I remember where he just, he just rolled through his lecture and started talking about the Unique Fire. And I was sitting in my seat, <laughs> almost laughing a little bit, kind of going, nobody, this word is completely made up. <laughs> who who made this up? You know, it it just it cracked me up. So, mm. but yeah, the uniqueifier. But the uniqueifier is an important concept. You know, it it it's something that they have to add. It takes time, it takes space, and not only does it end up wasting space in the base rows, but it ends up wasting space in your non-clustered index keys. So, it turns out just being a a a, a time and space waster, so it's not the best of choices, but it's of course handling that situation when the clustering key is not already unique, so they don't have to make that quote unquote requirement, so they're more flexible. And and it's always a trade off, you know. I mean, to yeah. be flexible is a trade off versus performance versus simplicity and and so forth. So I have mixed. I, I think feelings also on it. the.
0: The the change into row level locking as well also uh, was the whole avoiding or uh, avoiding hotspots and things like that. I think was a, an issue back in six point five as well or earlier. So
1: oh, totally, totally. I, as a consultant, I can kind of remember going out and talking to customers about how they should create their clustered index prior to seven zero. And you're yeah. you're you're spot on. I mean, it, it was exactly that we would recommend. To so look at your range queries so that you could create a clustering key that wouldn't have hotspots. And then the irony was that what we were trying to avoid was page level locking, but we used the excuse that we were trying to improve query performance, so it got clouded. And unfortunately, ever since, people still think that's the reason to create a, a clustering key. But everything's changed, you know, the internals changed. We went to true row-level locking. You don't need to avoid the hotspots for a locking, perp- you know, reason. So, yeah, yeah the, the whole architecture has changed. So, yeah, and Now the,
0: the, the converse, uh, the, the, the idea of having all the inserts occurring on the page that is in memory is actually beneficial. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, it becomes exactly the opposite and, and counterintuitive, you know. So, well, unique was the first criteria, but the next one that mm. you mentioned is actually kind of interesting. I, it, the the fact that if you have something like a, a an identity type of column, then you get other benefits. But I usually lead up to that by saying not only do I like unique, but I like narrow, right? So I want it to yeah. be fairly narrow if it can be, and then I also like it to be static. Because if Mm -hmm. the, the clustering key is duplicated in all of your non-clustered indexes, then if it changes, there's a lot of changes that have to be managed and maintained across all of those non-clustered indexes. So then, you know, like you said, that leads us to something like a primary key, which is unique, narrow, well, let's put it this way, it's usually unique and static, and if it's not a natural key if it's kind of a contrived or surrogate key it's probably also narrow and that Mm -hmm. may actually be an identity which identities are obviously unique narrow static but they're also ever-increasing Which again as you mentioned would normally be something people would want to avoid but now that we have true row-level locking all those inserts going to the same page actually becomes a benefit, not a negative. So those pages are already in cash; they stay in cash, and there's more isolated cash activity. So you actually use less cash for inserts. So yeah, huge benefits. I you can't shut me up when you get me started on this one, Greg. So.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm going to have to say that gourd word. Oh, <laughs> and uh, your thoughts there.
1: <laughs> oh no, that's a. It's it's funny. I I almost in my head um you know you know how we all get we have games when we're presenting. One of the games I kind of play in my head is how many minutes will it take before somebody says, "Well, what about a goo
0: Yes, it, it, so, it's a bit like, uh, if, if you go to any Visual Studio Team System sessions at the moment, the discussion is, how, uh, how long will it be before licensing comes up? <laughs> you know, uh, I was at oh, a, uh, that's a... Uh, we had our, our code camp last year and I felt sorry for Charles Sterling. He had, uh, had a presentation there with, uh, I don't know, you know, probably 30 or 40 slides and uh, I think he got to the second one which mentioned licensing and, and, and that was the entire session <laughs> you know, at that point so yes, sorry so yes the good question
1: no 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 there there are heated debates right now on all of those issues and how long they should last and oh yeah it's craziness there's there's a few there's even a petition that was started isn't there i mean it's Mm. just craziness um but uh anyway so yeah the the good issue in terms of whether or not that's an appropriate so okay let me step back there are two things at hand here there's the primary key and then there's the clustering key and those two things do not have to be the same you know I you can actually have a primary key that is not clustered and you could have yes. a cluster index on something totally different so you know that's an important thing to start with um, now I personally prefer when the primary key is your clustering key but if your primary key is a GUID, then that may not be the best choice depending on how you are using and incrementing your GUID or, or getting your GUID values. There's really, in my opinion, three ways to generate a GUID. There are two different places where a GUID can be generated. There's client side and there's server side. And then on the server side, there is the function provided by SQL Server, 2000, which is new ID, Mm -hmm. And you could also write your own XP, as my friend Gert Drapers has done. He wrote an XP GUID that would generate GUIDs for you using an XP. Um, But the point is, if they're client-side, you can never have a pattern to them, because it's just not possible if you're not generating them in one location. right? And if they're server-side, you can use the new ID function, which, again, is the only function in 2000, but that is not ever-increasing, so it doesn't give you, you know, the same benefit as an identity-like column would if it were ever-increasing. So then there's the next question. Can you generate GUIDs sequentially on the server side? And in 2000, if you create your own XP or use GERT's XP, um, which is on SQLDevNet, SQLDev.net, I have some links in a a blog entry over to his code, but you could use his XP to generate GUID sequentially. Then you could use a GUID as your primary key, as your clustering key, and you would have an ever-increasing pattern. But then that always brings up the date, well, doesn't that kind of violate some of the principles of a GUID? I thought one of the benefits of a GUID was that they weren't predictable. And that's true. If you're using a GUID because of security reasons, you don't want the GUID to be predictable, then yes, it's not appropriate. But if you're just using GUIDs because you want to have a a globally unique identifier, maybe you're generating these from two or three different sites, and as a result, you want to kind of have some form of pattern to it, but again, patterns at each of the different servers, um, then you can use that. And, And sure enough, in SQL 2005, they added a new function called new sequential ID, which is pretty much the same thing that Gertz is, which is a sequential GUID, but now you can you, you can call a function that does that. Yeah. So, you and, know,
0: yeah, so, so that it depends. I, I put a blog <laughs> entry about that recently, yeah, because th- there's certainly a few provisos with that new function as well. So um, things like it, it seems to... Yeah, it's it, the new function, it seems to take into account things like the MAC address of the network card um, on the system.
1: Yeah, the, the way they're on, generating so. it.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, and so they're I, saying, a, again, yeah, from
0: different systems it'll be sort of unique, but they were saying things like if you didn't have a network card, then maybe it wouldn't, but it, it would be very few scenarios where you've got SQL Server and you don't have a network card. So.
1: Well, I I don't think you'd have much of a distributed application there either. (laughs) So so there's that argument too if there isn't a network card. But um, yeah I I the it is an interesting an interesting scenario. I know that some people do feel that having the MAC address in there is a a violation of their quote unquote security. um, Mm -hmm. But I I. I don't really know if I kind of agree with that. I, I guess to a certain extent I do, but at the same time I, I don't. So it's yeah. interesting.:
0: The, the predictability is, is an interesting issue because yeah, that's exactly it. The idea that if you insert a few rows, you could then you, you could guess what the next rows will be if you're using that sort of function. And, uh, and, and that's right. that may be a security-related thing.
1: Right. So that's that's probably the biggest concern that I think I would have in choosing the new sequential ID is is just if you do want to have a much more random pattern to this, then that's probably not the choice. But at that point, if you want to use that for your primary key, then what you might want to do for your clustering key is something else. You know, even arbitrarily adding an identity column that is just for clustering may be a better choice to help get better insert performance with less fragmentation because all the inserts go to a single location within the table. They don't cause splitting. So that's a, yeah. a, a huge benefit to that.
0: Yeah, I think one, one of the things that... Uh, I mean, the key, the key reason I see for using GUIDs is not uh, anything to do with the database. It's, it's simple... Well, I suppose it is. But the main thing is that you can generate them in another tier, before it hits the database and so uh it, it just means that client level code and things or, or middle tier code i mean you can generate the GUIDs and and then get to the end and then write the whole thing to the database and know that you're not going to clash with something already there
1: No, and i i understand that mentality for sure and i i kind of understand that people are really trying to minimize round trips because round trips can yep. be expensive but at the same time there are some approaches that are fairly fast, like go to the server, get the ID, insert what we call a placeholder row that doesn't have all of the data that you know will be your row when you're ready to insert, go back to the client, do whatever it is you need to do, and then come back and update it. As long as you use some general best practices with that strategy, you do make one extra round trip, but you can also save a lot in all the other negative side effects of having used a GUID. So Mm -hmm. it's all a matter of trade-offs, you know. and, And one of the things that I see as a big problem, by the way, with placeholder rows, is if you insert a row with a bunch of nulls and a bunch of varchar columns, then when you come back later and update, you will have tremendous fragmentation due to the increased size of the row when you have to update it. So a really important trick if you do want to use that strategy is to make sure that you pre-allocate your row size on the initial insert when you grab your ID. And the way to do that is very simply make sure you're using default values. And as long as you do that, you can significantly reduce the update cost, significantly reduce your fragmentation, and really you can help improve your insert time. So end-to-end... The extra round trip does cost you, but in the end, it it may actually be a, a bigger benefit to do it that way.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, that's probably a good spot to just take a break for a few minutes, and we'll be back after the break. Cool. Thanks. As well as community resources such as this podcast, Sequel Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. Welcome back from the break. One of the things I noticed that uh, you're somewhat passionate about seems to be scuba diving. So just get to tell us for a moment uh, your interest there.
1: Oh, oh, don't get, you know, Greg, you're going to be sorry that you got me started on this one. It's almost as bad as sequel when you get me started. (laughs) Um yeah and you being in Australia are definitely uh one to talk yes, about diving. we have to diving. get you to
0: come here. <laughs>
1: oh I've dove I've dove the barrier reef in Australia it, it's oh, good. it's stunning some g- great giant clams and lots of lots of sea life the pacific in general is amazing. Um uh, yeah I, I I've done a lot of dives and and it is definitely the way that I like to relax and i you know to me there's nothing that beats a, a dive vacation where i'm kind of eating sleeping and diving for five or six mm. days on end and kind of like you get up have breakfast do a dive relax a little bit do a dive have lunch do a dive take a break do a dive have dinner <laughs> do a dive so um it's a little bit hardcore but that's that's kind of that's kind of my personality so but I, yeah I diving noticed is you're great.
0: up into hundreds of dives so.
1: Yeah, yeah. i I've I just um I I hadn't dove for three years um until I dove again. So I got certified in I think it was '97, dove mm-hmm. quite a bit until about 2003, and then kind of was working so much that I didn't take a dive holiday again. Or actually, 2002 didn't take a dive holiday again until 2005 um and then I've taken one more since then so yeah I just logged my 258th dive so wow. that was that was great you know hitting 250 was was fun so but i mean there's still there's people that have thousands of dives i just you know yes. it, it's a it's a passion it's not my job but it's uh it's a heck of a lot of fun definitely yeah teaching. actually
0: uh, i mentioned our local DPE guy uh, Charles Sterling uh, before and Chuck do you know Chuck
1: at all Oh yeah I do I do
0: Yes I I, had... I, I would have thought so <laughs> yeah. Everybody knows Chuck but the uh but he's so passionate about diving and uh I I must admit, whenever he's doing tours I, I always sort of look to see if it's uh, somewhere near the coast or <laughs> Yeah <laughs> places see if he's, he's gonna going to fit
1: in a day Yeah mm-hmm. that's that's a goal I my uh I have only been to Australia once actually but I I made sure that uh when I took that trip that I, I extended it a little bit and went up to the northern coast and, and did a, a four day liveaboard on a Mike Ball boat up there. Yeah. So, you know, that's. Oh no, truly I,
0: spectacular. The, uh, actually the, the one that they tell me is, uh, is one of the best of the lot is actually up around New Guinea. Uh, and unfortunately the security situation and everything else, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's not nice. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't yeah. put it any other way. But uh, in and around um, the area there, just the, the amazing tropical waters and and the the volume of things like World War Two wrecks and you know, the dive sites, they they just tell me are just completely spectacular. So uh, yeah, there's
1: yeah, some sometimes, amazing amazing sometimes diving. Sometimes the up.
0: surrounding problems are a bit too much. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. The Bikini Atoll, which is Um, where they did some World War II uh, nuclear testing. There were, Mm. I think, something like 40 inhabitants or 140, not very many. It was definitely less than a few hundred. All those people were moved off of the islands in, um, I guess, the 40s or the 50s to do nuclear bomb testing. They moved them all off. They they blew up a bunch of, um, you know, World War II tankers and, and freighters and sh- aircraft carrier. I mean, just huge, huge ships. Yeah. Blew them all up, sunk them, and it was totally uninhabited for 50 years. And I guess mm. in the last few years, they've been allowing a lot of people to go there and dive those wrecks, but they're very deep. Um, it's tech diving, trimix diving. Usually you're at like 180 feet deep, um, mm. decompression dives. Uh, so, so that's that's diving that I, I really haven't gotten into I haven't gotten into the tech side but you're right there's deep, some amazing diving, wrecks
0: yeah. actually the, yeah. uh, I often tell people uh, in terms of diving the uh, the one that amazes me I I uh, spent a bit of time at the at, at the university and uh, I used to look at a lot of research theses that uh, that came through and and uh, different unis the the one that impressed me the most I often tell people I, I thought it was the best title I ever heard for a thesis was a a guy had a thesis entitled "Why Penguins Don't Explode," and uh, and, and you know, it's a, I just thought it was the, the, the most amazing title because it's the sort of thing where, in the public, they they just look and go, "Oh, bloody academics!" You know, I mean, that's like just ridiculous. But it was just completely fascinating because he used to he they used to think that penguins only dive down about 20 or 30 meters below the or yards below the the water, and it turns out they go down about 200 and. Uh, and, and he's just totally fascinated how any creature can sort of dive down 200 meters and not implode, and conversely how it can come screaming back up to the top and not explode. So.
1: Yeah, and, no, uh, that's amazing.
0: I thought it was just in, incredibly interesting research, but uh, yeah, just I, I, I'm sure I think from memory that I'm, I'm sure they made him tone down the title, but uh, I just thought I thought that was sad because I thought it was just a great title.
1: <laughs> that is excellent. I yeah, it's it's kind of an amazing thing in terms of whales and i didn't realize penguins went so deep so that's yeah that's definitely an interesting one you know i've never dove in the far north or the far south where where there would be penguins at least uh yeah. you know cold or Apparently warm they're, uh, peng-
0: they're also the only creature also that can from swimming throw itself out of the water and land on its feet Really? So, yeah. <laughs> well, you learn something
1: new every day. Who would have known?
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So he, he had a awesome. friend researching that as well. So you know, but uh, and the biomechanics of that. But anyway, that's uh, fascinating.
1: Uh, and and but, are these guys employed now? <laughs>
0: I don't know. I don't know. It was many years ago. So yeah, uh, but I just loved the fact they were down in the Antarctic doing that. You know, I I thought i it's the sort of research that often doesn't get supported No, I, I thought i will happily put in my twenty cents or whatever and let them, let them do it. I thought it was wonderful. So, no, so I'm not to see much of the penguins. So, uh, so I've got to go and see the movie now. So
1: You know, I haven't seen it either, but I you know, if I could <laughs> if I could find a career in in you know marine biology and 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 if i really had the motivation to go back to school that would be an area that would be really interesting so i always yeah. admire people that that study that i think it's just great
0: <laughs> but back to sql server um oh, how no. does sql See? server 2005 <laughs> changed the situation
1: in terms of indexes in terms um, of
0: indexes yeah
1: yeah in terms of indexes i i think the things that are the most interesting is that the strategies in terms of your base, your clustered index, and even most of your non-clustered indexes, for the most part, is the same. So the good indexing strategies we have for 2000 really proceed forward to 2005. Um, But they have added a couple of features that are, well, one is enterprise only, and that is the online index operations, which is a fantastic way of, getting rid of fragmentation and rebuilding an index, which is the best way to get rid of fragmentation, because there's two ways. You can defrag or you can rebuild. But when you rebuild, it actually picks up, moves the entire table, gives you better what we call clustering of that data so that the pages and the extents are closer together. So rebuilding is is better generally than a defrag. But in 2000, rebuilding is only done as an on- offline operation where you literally have to have your table uh, in effect offline for the clustered index rebuild in 2005 enterprise edition only you can do an online index operation so you know that's a a great huge feature
0: it's actually providing additional value to the enterprise license i suppose in this edition as well
1: yeah absolutely i I think for me and for my customers that that Enterprise Edition of SQL 2005 is definitely um, a lot more... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, it's just a lot more desirable than any other release. I mean, in 2000, there were some reasons to go for Enterprise, and and some of them were huge reasons, but in 2005... There are a whole bunch of reasons that are huge reasons. Mm. I mean, it's not just a few things here and there, but just, I mean, just to name a few. Not only is there clustering, which has always been yeah. more of an enterprise, it's the number feature. one
0: reason, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, it, yeah, I don't, I guess number one. I, but that's yeah. definitely it, a, when, a, when a I primary. look at the
0: sites that have implemented enterprise edition locally, it's invariably because they they want a clustered server.
1: Well, you can, you can cluster on standard edition, but only two nodes. So, and I, mostly I see two node clusters, so I, that, that to me is, is one that I guess varies depending on the site, but they, Mm -hmm. they definitely, if they want more than two nodes, can't do that with anything other than, um, you know, enterprise edition. So that, definitely I agree, because that's a big one, that's a huge one. Um, database mirroring clearly is another issue, which is, uh, again, you can do it with the standard edition, but it's more feature-rich in the enterprise. But there are some features that are, like, absolutely enterprise only, and those are online index operations, partial database availability, um, database snapshots, online piecemeal restore, um, peer-to-peer replication. So I, amazingly, there are some features that actually have no use or capabilities at all on any other edition. I mean, it's not even that they're just limited on standard. They're not even possible on standard.
0: So. Actually, I was trying to remember, is table partitioning on standard? Table stand? and index
1: partitioning is, is enterprise only.
0: Yeah, um, that's another so, one I thought might be, yeah.
1: Yeah, I another mean, big one for me, too. I've written some white papers on that. I'm really into that, but I didn't even name that one.
0: I, I you know, reread your white paper just yeah. yesterday.
1: <laughs> oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm
0: actually, at a, at a, at a site... Uh, where we're doing that today so yeah
1: oh excellent excellent well hopefully it's going well i'm 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 hopefully going to put some uh updated touches on that white paper and even some lessons learned that i've learned over because boy when i wrote that white paper you know i was still ev- everything was still in beta we were all still learning you know different projects kind of mm. trying to figure things out and and uh definitely in the years now that it's been since i i wrote that originally at I, I'm amazed at how much I want to to add to that. So I may end up yeah. revving that paper sometime in the not too distant future. So, That's but yeah, fun. it's it's a great technology. It's a great great amount of fun. So, so
0: you think the online operations are probably the the most popular thing in terms of index improvements for 2005.
1: Okay, so that's a great question. It it is really important for the the companies that are trying to stay, you know, always on per se. You know, that's the whole new um, Microsoft focus is, is the always on technologies. So if you're in that arena where you're trying to keep your database and your system always on and or always available, then I, I think that's a pretty important one because mm. you have to rebuild. you have to make sure that your environment is not fragmented because that also negatively impacts performance, which then negatively impacts locking and blocking and everything else. So I mean, it yeah. it is a domino effect. so so yes, i I think that's important. But I think the more widespread, uh, feature because again it's available in any edition that is a new feature for indexing is the include option which is hmm. where With do you know a lot indexes, about this yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah. But, but I'll let you tell the story that's a that's a really good story
1: yeah no and so there's a there's a lot to this kind of content but in SQL in every release of SQL Server they have had a limitation for what we call the B tree structure separate from the leaf level of the index structure. So there's two key components in an index. There's the tree, which is how they navigate, and then there's the leaf level, which holds the the data, essentially, of the index, which might not be the whole data row. It's just the index row, essentially. Well, the navigational component, because they want it to be very scalable, the B tree has to be limited to a maximum size. Now, that's always been the case, but in every release of SQL Server, that limitation that they had for the B-tree always led all the way down into the leaf level, and that limitation was 16 columns or 900 bytes, whichever 900 comes bots, first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so it was, it was kind of, you know, whichever one came first, that was it. Your index could not be wider mm-hmm. than that. So now... I don't two, think I've ever five. built
0: something with more than 16 columns in an index anyway.
1: <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because I have in mm. in a lot of cases where I have read-only systems or systems that are doing a lot of analysis like a relational database warehouse, you yeah. tend to want to have, you know, many indexes to cover different types of aggregations, different types of orderings, different types of analysis
0: structures. Yeah. So but you can- thing, It's not naturally occurring. What you're doing is artificially creating a covering index for performance.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it yeah. indexes for performance purposes, you know, specifically when they cover a query, meaning, and, and let's, we should define that Yeah, just define covering,
0: aren't. yes, yes.
1: Yeah, so, so a, an index which covers a query is an index which includes all of the columns that are somewhere in the query somewhere in the index now order is not relevant to meet the definition of covering so the columns in the index can be in any order and there can actually even be other columns in the index just so long as every column that is anywhere in the query is somewhere in the index then that index covers that query
0: so that's the definition can answer the query by just reading the index.
1: Absolutely. So then what what you end up with is exactly that. All of the information that the query needs is in the index, and the index is naturally, generally, smaller than the table. So even if you have to scan it, it's a less expensive scan than a table scan would be. Hmm. Now, there are better ways to cover so that you end up with what we call a seekable index. So if the query has a where clause, a group by, or a join, those are the more likely candidates to start or what we say as the high order element of the index, which is the first column. Then the index might be seekable. And when it's seekable, then you get literally orders of magnitude faster performance than you would uh, over reading the uh, the, uh the base table and scanning and in a range query, if you have to seek with a partial scan, again, you're scanning a much smaller amount of data rather than scanning the base table. And this is, this is one of those things that almost requires a diagram and a demo to really make sense of it, but hmm. covering is huge. I mean, it is one of the most important performance tuning techniques and tactics that you can use to tune a query. I mean, there, there is no faster way to get to data, especially in a low selectivity range query than to cover the query. So yes. hands down. But covering is expensive. I mean, it, it takes mm. space and it, again, there were limitations. So it was very challenging to cover some queries. So include helps you cover more queries and you can have a wider leaf level without violating the B-tree structure limitation of uh, 16 columns or 900 bytes. But there's actually something even cooler about this. But I I feel like you want to say something. So you start. No, 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 go ahead. So, well, the thing that is, I think, the most interesting with include is when it comes to things like group by. So let me give you a great example. Let's say you're going to do a group by, and it's a really simple group by because this is an example I use all the time. So I want mm-hmm. to select the sum of sales by customer over my huge sales table. So I've got, you know, millions of sales, and I want the sum of sales by customer. So a very simple aggregate. We're grouping by customer, and we're aggregating, you know, something like, if there's a column of, you know, the total amount for the sale. So this might be the the header table or it might be the line items. It really doesn't matter at this point. But the sum of sales by customer, that means that for SQL Server to best optimize that query, if it had all of the customer information ordered by customer with the sales amount in the index, then it could scan... And it would be able to do something called a stream aggregate where all of the customers' rows are grouped. So it's kind of like customer number one with their sum, customer number one with their sum, customer number one with their sum, sum, all grouped together. So it can just basically sum it up, stream it out. Go to customer number two, sum it up, stream it out. It's a very, very fast way of aggregating.
0: Mm.
1: So the appropriate index would be an index that's customer, comma, total. So we'd call that a covering index because it covers your query and it's a stream aggregate because the high order element, the first column, is your group by. So literally you take your group by, then you put the columns being aggregated. There's your covering index. Your performance is usually significantly faster than any of the other choices that you might see. Now, when you do an insert of another sale for that customer, the way that that index is ordered, since it's ordered by customer and total, it means that the totals are ever-increasing. So that means when they insert another sale for like $12, let's say, then they have to insert that order right at the $12 spot. If that customer has another sale for $25, they have to go to the $25 spot. So what becomes interesting is that this index, albeit performance, in terms of this query is actually slower and causes more fragmentation for inserts, updates, and deletes. So in SQL 2005, this is the really cool thing, so I I will get to my punchline here, but in SQL (laughs) 2005, in SQL 2005 you could actually create the index on customer, putting customer as the key or your group by as the key, and then you could say include the columns being aggregated And the cool part is then that data for the the columns being aggregated is not ordered, so as inserts and updates come in, there's actually less fragmentation and less maintenance needed. So even though a lot of people say that include is solely to make wider indexes um, for more covering queries, and that's true, that is one of its main purposes, and that's probably one of the predominant, one of the cooler things is that it allows you better performance and less fragmentation for indexes where order is not required for certain columns like group by and gives you better performance so it's yeah. it's this great combination there as well so I, i'm surprised at how much i am recommending it um for that purpose not just for wider queries
0: mm. can so I, that's kind of cool it, it is think, outstanding, but can I ask you about indexed views as to whether you make much use of those currently? Oh,
1: okay. Indexed views are really the probably the precursor to include because really mm-hmm. indexed views give you a way to cover more queries. And in fact, you could do almost exactly the same thing with an indexed view that you can with include because you could create a view whose clustered index is on up to 16 columns or 900 bytes but whose view definition is wider so you can actually yeah. do literally the same exact thing with an indexed view that you can do with include except indexed views have some more interesting options to them and mm-hmm. indexed views are enterprise edition only So that's one of the things that kind of, and I shouldn't say enterprise only, because you can actually use indexed views on any edition, but they're not as flexible except on the enterprise edition, and you have to reference an index hint, and you have to reference the view if you're going to use them on the non-enterprise edition, but long story short on these, indexed views, if you're going to improve an aggregate, is the next step, like the stream aggregate is great. As much as I mm-hmm. would like to improve a query with a stream aggregate, if I can create an indexed view, I will probably be able to get a hundred times better performance. And I, I mean, I'm not kidding. Yeah. Literally, a hundred times better performance with an indexed view that pre-aggregates the data, because in the indexed view you can have the, the customer and the sum of sales in the index that yeah. would then have the pre-aggregated data so when you query, instead of having to even do the aggregate like a stream aggregate, literally it just has to scan the already aggregated data. So yeah. index views are great. There's some great white papers out there on index views. If, if mm. you know any of your listeners are interested, um, on TechNet and on MSDN there are some white papers on index views, and and they should look around because that's mm. one of my favorite features too. I, I guess yeah. I have a lot of favorites. But. Uh, I
0: think the the, they always say the quickest way to work something out is to already have the answer. <laughs> so yeah. I, I see that with Ain't the that excuse. the truth? That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Well, listen, that pretty much brings us up to time. I, what I'd love to hear about, though, is uh, what you've got coming up in your world.
1: Petting my dog. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's early for you, and it's late in the day for me, so you have to realize my mentality mm. at this time of day of, you know... <laughs> is a is a little more punchy than yours. Um, mm. No, uh, a lot of things coming up. I think some of the more exciting things coming up are uh, both some of my my Microsoft events coming up as well as some of my own SQL Skills events. But for Microsoft, we've got you know Tech Ed coming up, and that's a, a huge event. And um, I'm doing a pre-con there. Yes, I'll there. see you at
0: TechEd. So.
1: Oh, right on, right on. Yes. Yeah. So that's in Boston, and. Uh, where everything is wicked, wicked cool, wicked this, wicked that. Um, I lived in Boston actually for Microsoft years ago, so um, mm-hmm. that'll be kind of fun. But yeah, so there's 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 TechEd coming up, and I've got a pre-conf with uh, a friend of mine, Brian Randall, and we're gonna do a lot of kind of how to build enterprise applications. He's gonna be kind of the the, the torturous developer, and I'm gonna be the torturous DBA, <laughs> and we'll. We we'll kind of make sure. Yes, I know Brian. Brian
0: is is a fun guy. Brian. He's,
1: he's of... awesome. Yeah, and and we like to to torment each other from the developer DBA relationship and just bring together the best practices that often aren't brought together until it's too late and and requires rearchitecting an application to really make it, you know, more operationally manageable as well as more performance and and so that's a really fun one. We, we've we only done it once before, we did it at PDC last year and it was really well received so we decided to uh, update it for SQL 2005 SP1 and, and add some things and remove a few things and there's some new products coming out that we're actually going to be able to talk about by then so that'll be kind of exciting and then after that um, probably in the August, September and October time frame Um, my company, SQL Skills, is going to be offering some what I call immersion events, which are Mm. four- and five-day events where we do nothing but drill into, like, one topic, like performance tuning. And it's amazing. Even with four- and five-day events, I always think, boy, we could make this ten days and still not have enough time. But when I do an immersion event, they're usually longer days, fairly intense, a lot of materials, just, you know, deep immersion in a topic. So I like to do performance tuning or high availability. My colleague Bob will also be doing some developer immersion events, and we're going to schedule those um, to start in Seattle, uh, Chicago, and New York. So yeah. kind of covering Actually, the, the bases in might the U.S.
0: Actually, n- some people mightn't realize, yeah, that uh, Bob Boichman, um works for you or works with you, and uh, uh, Bob's a great guy too. Actually, I uh, was... One of the tech editors on uh, on his new book, and you know, uh, with Dan Sullivan, I think that it's just an outstanding book. So uh, I tell people when they're looking around for developer topic uh, books for SQL Server 2005, I think uh, they they need to be pre-ordering that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, it just it just got released. Um, it was supposed to be Excellent. released I think May 16th, but I think it actually came out early for May 1st. So I think it's actually orderable now, literally in the last couple of days. So it is really well, I exciting. I need to go and uh, get
0: it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I must have been going absolutely. through the book. I, I thought it was just a uh, the 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 level of insights and things like that's just truly wonderful.
1: Yeah, between Bob and Dan, they they did just a great job. Yeah, Bob's mm. it's you know Bob is is one of these guys that I just I just love in the sense that I'll say something. And I won't really mean for him to do anything or, 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 or that I'm, that I'm looking for something. I'll just be like, yeah, there's this feature, blah, 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 you know, and then I move on and I kind of forget about it. And a day or two later, Bob will send me mail. Well, I've completely figured this out and I had to do this and I had to do this and I wrote this code and it does this and it's optimized here and you need to do this and, and boy, it was really cool, but I didn't, you know, and I just completely <laughs> laugh. You know, I, I'm like, well, Bob, I, I think I need to subtly, you know, hint to things more often if you're gonna go off on the tangent and figure everything out. And, oh, so he's great. great. He's no,
0: I'm, I'm really pleased to see you both working together. That's, that's just outstanding. So that's
1: great. Yeah, it's great. So we're gonna have a couple of those events where, where Bob does one, I do one, but we cross over for a few topics where I make more sense in his, in, you know, in mm-hmm. his immersion event and he makes more sense in mine. And uh, like I said, we'll probably have three of those this year and and we'll be announcing those to our subscribers on the website mm-hmm. first and giving them a discount. I have this free subscription thing and and I make jokes that I don't have time to spam. I can't even remember <laughs> the last time I actually emailed my group of subscribers, but they will mm-hmm. get first dibs and then it will be a little bit. There will bit.
0: be a deal. So SQLSkills.com. Yep. <laughs> Sorry,
1: I was trying to be quick here. I think there's a little delay between us here, so I'm I'm always Sometimes, a, a second or yeah. two behind. Yeah.
0: So Well listen, thank you so very much, Kim. And uh at the latest I'll see you see you at TechEd.
1: Yeah, it's Greg, hey, it's been really fun being here. I, I, I always love doing these things. They always scare me, you know. I always hate kind of being recorded, you know. I feel like it's gonna come back to haunt me. So
0: All good, all good. Yeah. Thanks, Terrible. Greg. Thank you. Cheers.
1: Cheers.